This is the Good Omens Podcast, Season 2, Chapter 3, I Know Where I'm Going, on TV Podcast Industries, in association with Podcastica. Look, I am good. You, I'm afraid, are evil. But people get a choice. You know, they cannot be truly holy unless they also get the opportunity to be wicked. She is wicked. Why? That only works if you start everyone off equal. You can't start someone off like that and expect her to do as well as someone born in a castle. Ah, but no, no, that's the good bit. The lower you start, the more opportunities you have. So Elspeth here has all the opportunities because she's so poor. That's losing. No, that's ineffable. Welcome back, fellow angels and demons. This is the Good Omens Podcast. We're back talking about Season 2, Chapter 3, I Know Where I'm Going, featuring the Minnesota The Resurrectionists. I'm one of your hosts, Derek, and I'm joined, of course, once again by my own ineffable fiancé, John. Hello there, fellow acolytes. Yes, I am your other host, We John, short oh. for We John, short <laughs> for We Jonathan. Ah, We Jonathers. Yes. Well, if, you know, if David Tennant gets to do his Scottish accent in this episode, or every type of Scottish <laughs> accent that he could fit in in this episode, we can try a Scottish accent as well. Wee John. Yes. You could do a Scottish accent, John. I you. wouldn't endear myself to the people of Scotland if I tried. Well, you know, you can you can overblow it. You can, you can do it really big, like, again, David Tennant does in this episode yeah. in a couple of times. You can try it. Go on. Wee John. I can do... Iron Brew. <laughs> there you go. There okay, you go. that's that's what we'll that's what we'll go for. Okay, well done, John. Make me goddess. Exactly. In <laughs> Scotland. See, see, brilliant. That is a memory of my childhood. The Iron Brew and Tizer adverts. There you go. That's uh, that's what get it gets it set in your uh, in your brain. Yeah. Uh, for for most of your life afterwards. But welcome back, fellow acolytes. We're going to stop talking about uh, about branded products that don't sponsor the podcast, <laughs> um, and say thank you so much once again for joining us for our weekly podcasts about good omens. Uh, really enjoying the show so far, and really enjoying uh, having you listening along with us. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, though, our podcast can be found over tvpodcastindustries.com. and also as the podcast is in association with Podcastica, you can also pick up the Good Omens podcast over on podcastica.com. But if you want to share any thoughts about any of the episodes with us, you can also email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can go over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yes, let us get into our spoiler-filled discussion. Derek, take us away. Well, this episode, once again, written for television by Neil Gaiman and John Finneman. And just to add to the confusion that we were having about this Minnesota thing, <laughs> the mini- I'm not confused anymore. I'm not. I think we sorted that out in the last podcast. Yeah, but this episode, the Minnesota itself, is written by Cash Clark, another writer on the show who's actually was born in Zambia, but based in Edinburgh, so has lived her life there. So um, a, a good voice for a Scottish Minnesota uh, this week. And actually, last week's <laughs> Minnesota was written by John Finneman. He was the contributor for there. But we say Minnesota, but this is literally about 35 of the 45 minute <laughs> yeah, episodes. Yeah, it's, it's a big is, part. It's the flashback, right? Yeah, but it is minier than the whole. Exactly. It's slightly smaller than the main episode. Uh, but as always, the episode's directed by Doug McKinnon, Douglas McKinnon. 
Yes, excellent stuff. Mm-hmm. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Good Omens Season 2, Episode 3? I know where I'm going. Sure. Heaven sends junior angel Muriel disguised as a human police officer, Inspector Constable, to spy on Aziraphale and audit the 25 Lazari miracle that Aziraphale and Crowley performed. But Muriel, watching her freshly brewed cuppa and in her white police constable uniform, is clueless about life on Earth and is easily misdirected to follow Nina and Maggie to see if the miracle worked. As Aziraphale takes the Bentley to Edinburgh to investigate the raging clue he's found, he is reminded of his time in Edinburgh in 1827, when he and Crowley found a very uncanny statue of the Archangel Gabriel. While investigating the statue, they chance upon a poor girl, Elspeth, a body snatcher who robs graves and sells the corpses to doctors to support herself and her friend, Wee Morag. Aziraphale considers her deeds to be wrong and sabotages her sale, but after Dr. Dalrymple explains that the corpses he purchases are to help medical science understand how to treat the living people, he changes his mind about Elspeth's deeds. Elspeth, Weemorag, Crowley and Aziraphale try to dig up another corpse, but Weemorag is killed by a grave gun protecting the grave, and which provides a perfect opportunity for Elspeth to sell Weemorag's fresh corpse to the doctor. With the £5 received, she buys a bottle of wine to toast Weemorag's life with Crowley and Aziraphale, and then she tries to poison herself to join Weemorag but Crowley prevents her from doing so, and he forces Aziraphale to give her enough money to the tune of 90 guineas to escape poverty and live a better life. His good deed gets noticed indeed by hell, and he is returned to answer for his crimes. Back at AZ Fell and Company bookshop in present-day Soho, Crowley is trying to babysit Jim. Short for James, short for Gabriel, as Crowley manipulates the weather in a failed attempt to push Maggie and Nina together. He triggers Jim to announce a prophecy. The end is getting closer, and the dead will rise again. Outside, Shax believes Aziraphale is instrumental in hiding Gabriel, and she tells Crowley she will declare war on Aziraphale if her suspicions are proven correct. Excellent. So a trip up north, um, a brand new character on Earth for the first time, or in <laughs> London for the first time, uh, coming from a different human settlement. <laughs> Which one? Another one. Um, great fun. Lots of fun moments in this episode. We're going to pop into our uh, signs of the apocalypse, our top points uh, out of the episode, I think. Uh, a good place to start is... Um, with Muriel and um, to error is human, uh, which <laughs> I really yes. like. I have erred, which proves that I'm human. Yes, yeah. errored quite a lot actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, from from Muriel, I, I just love how this plays out. Mm-hmm. Really, yeah. um, I mean, certainly as uh, you know, when Crowley arrives, and you know, he's just so enjoying the fact that this angel is pretty clueless yeah. uh, about uh, Earth in terms of having a white police constable uh, uniform <laughs> rather than the blue. blue. Yes. I, I love how the 
the the girl who is buying the coffees for her girls uh, from Nina, mm-hmm. you know, is is wondering what kind of fun or kink she might be into. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, it's a bit so. different. Yeah. And um, do you know who that is, by the way, in the in the on. coffee shop? It's Donna Preston who played Desire in the Sandman TV show on Netflix. I just didn't even yeah. uh, sort of recognize. Her. I think she was just one of those faces that uh, when the camera was on her, I was going, "She's someone really important." I should know her from something. I couldn't place it until I until I yeah. looked her up. So. Uh, that's Desire and Sandman, who we'll see, we'll see back in season two. Absolutely, can't wait for that as well. Mm. But it just, just this, you know, the whole setup of Muriel, the completely clueless. I mean, the fact that you know Zirafail is, is prompting her, you mm-hmm. know, would you like a cup of tea? And it's kind of like, well, do I? Says, yes. yes. Human police officers <laughs> uh, would, you know, probably say yes if yes. they were offered a cup of tea, and then given the cup of tea, hasn't a notion what to do with it so just stirs at it and yeah. goes i like to stir at mine after you know again being prompted by a zero fail that you know it's customary to drink it yes yes um so i really thought this was a great little setup and as i say as crowley comes in sort of just absolutely like a pig in muck rolling mm-hmm. around it how uneasy muriel is uh-huh. you know just saying first visit to earth then you know uh-huh. um it's just really really good absolutely i think i, I love the the whole idea of the cup of tea i think that that is a great comedy moment i love that she responds with but the best part of cup of tea is looking at it <laughs> yeah exactly. that's, that's really good uh, and but- i was just gonna say even then when crowley is like asking her whether it's her first visit uh-huh. she's like yeah Yes, I mean, no, I've been here for 200 years. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, maybe it to err is angelic, oh, yes. <laughs> I guess, to err on, on Earth. It's a really great contrivance, really, mm, yeah, here. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it because, you know, the, the mission for Muriel, just to make sure that we that we remember, the mission for Muriel is she's been sent down by, from heaven to investigate this 25 uh, Lazari miracle that the two performed to hide uh, Gabriel. Uh, they have said to heaven that it's to do with... Um, getting Nina and Maggie together, uh, the two other shop owners on in, in the uh, the area of Soho. Um, so Muriel's down here to investigate if, if their miracle worked and if that was the miracle that they performed. Um, what I really like about it is, <laughs> what I really like about the moment is when Aziraphale asks Crowley to speak to him off in another room <laughs> and Muriel goes, oh, hang on a second, I was sent down here to monitor you and Aziraphale politely says back to her but don't worry we'll just tell you everything that happened you don't actually have to see it and she goes "Ooh, phew okay grand i can keep my mission going and then crowley pushes her to go and say well if you're investigating love if that's why you're here the way you do that is go and talk to the two of them so get out of my hair basically stop watching over me yeah exactly (laughs) and it's also the fact that muriel's like well as police officer i can observe you Mm -hmm. like i Come in, I want to come inside because it's easier for me to observe you from here. It's like, the cat you kind of need a warrant. Like, it's all completely off the charts yeah. wrong from heaven. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? Um, but I, and I, again, Crowley's kind of desperate because with Aziraphale going to Edinburgh, you know, he, he doesn't want to be babysitting um gabriel mm. let alone to have another you know absolutely lovable numpty and um, that, that's also that he's also having to babysit exactly. you know he's kind of like the hostler here and yep. this is just pure innocence um, exactly. down to the uniform yeah 
you yeah. know, really good. Yeah, a really great intro here to uh, to Muriel in AZ Falencos. Uh, so lots of fun with her being a an angel out of water. Uh, that's yes, it. exactly. <laughs> Well, let's go on to our second side of the apocalypse, our second big moment from the episode, which is the majority of the rest of the episode, really. Uh, the flashback to 10th of November, 1827, uh, up in Edinburgh. And the whole focus of this, this is coming from the private diaries of Xerophel, uh, the whole focus of this is that there's a statue that um, Crowley has found in um, an Edinburgh cemetery. Yeah, depressingly that's, accurate as yeah, well, the, by all accounts. Yeah, it looks exactly like Gabriel. Um, <laughs> you know, I, but in the in the making of you actually see that they did do a cast of uh, of John Hamm's face, of course, to make this look exactly like John Hamm uh, as Gabriel. But uh, I love the discussion that they have over the statue where it's kind of going. Do you think he comes down and visits it? Yep, I'd say he visits it and checks out the profile <laughs> very often. You know, um, and this is where they meet the grave robber Elspeth. Uh, Elspeth. Elspeth. Yes, yes. I keep yes. getting that wrong. Hang on. I Sorry, think you need to do it, Derek. I will. You were right. You were right. I was wrong. You were right. Do you know, um, fellow acolytes and listeners, um, I've spent the last five minutes trying to get Elspeth's, Elspeth's name right, and then I got it bloody wrong again, and John had it right the whole time. So, yes, John, you were right. I was wrong. Hooray! Uh, right. That's one for me. One for you. Uh, balanced against the uh, infinite amount uh, that I am always right. Uh, anyway, uh, this is where they meet uh, Elspeth um, and get her story. This is a, a grave robber who is a, she's homeless, she's poor, she has no money to her name, um, and she takes bodies and sells them to a doctor for the money that could possibly give her a better life or at least a roof over her head and some food, um, which is what she's expecting to get out of this. Um, I like this idea that we have in here, this story of um, effectively teaching Aziraphale that not everything is black and white. Not everything yeah. is about being good and bad and not everything is about whether you sin or not and whether you'd be punished for the sin and sent to hell or not. There are gray areas in the world and it feels like a moment in his life where he hasn't learned that before absolutely i thought this was really good and i think it it, it goes beyond being good or evil you mm. know aziraphale's default is to show elspeth the error of her ways yes. that she is wrong i mean he he says um it's it's evil Whereas, you know, Crowley is loving it. And, mm -hmm. and it is this notion of, you know, is it right or is it wrong here yeah. around the grave robbing? But it, you know, as Crowley layers in the idea that, well, they're poor. They yeah. have nothing else to do. And, you know, we have... um you know, well, you could be a weaver, and it's like, where's my loom? Yeah, I think I <laughs> forgot that. What yeah. about, well, you could be a farmer. Uh -huh. um, I think I left the loom on the farm, yeah, you know, exactly. is is really good, because it's also this notion of the unequalness on Earth as much as how it's viewed from the angelic hosts yeah. or the demons from below about it being good or evil. It's the unfairness, you know, and... As as Crowley says, you know, this only works, Aziraphale, if you start off equal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not if you're born in a castle uh, yep. compared to Elspeth. And, you know, I love the fact that Crowley is challenging um, Aziraphale's logic here around Elspeth being evil because yes. of what she has done mm -hmm. or what she has been, um, you know, she's compelled to do it in order to 
eat and to provide um, shelter. Yeah, because I, the scenes really begin with thinking that that Crowley is um, interested in the idea of the sinner here. He's like, oh, I'm following along with the body snatcher. This is this is hilarious. Exactly. Someone doing evil. But really what he's consumed with is proving to Aziraphale that he's wrong about someone being bad just because they're committing a sin. Exactly. And that's where the conversation gets really interesting. And I have to it. say, I, I kind of cheered uh, a, a little bit, really, with Elspeth saying exactly the same thing. There is mm-hmm. many a time where I've also had to say what um, Elspeth has said, which is, you can shove your morals up your ass. Well, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and then she pauses and says, Mr. McFell, which is the other hilarious thing about this whole scene as they're introduced is like mm-hmm. she goes who are you and she goes you're english exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. he goes i'm mr mcfell <laughs> and as i really enjoyed that yeah. uh, and a as little we, bit as well absolutely as we mentioned earlier on david tennant affecting the the biggest scottish accent yeah. you can possibly affect just to prove that he is truly scottish here is is really good fun and one of the things I really like in the scene in the conversation between the two of them where Crowley's um, talking to Aziraphale and saying to, to Aziraphale, you know, it's only the same if everybody is equal. Those rules can't matter if people come from different places. Crowley's saying, if you're born in a castle, the rules are different for you. Exactly. And Aziraphale pulls a line directly from the original Good Omens book where he says, the lower you start, the more opportunities you have to do good. Um, so, uh, again, another concept that doesn't translate to real life exactly it's that logic um Mm. and it's you know can you get yourself out of the hole that you've been placed in by being born poor or or whatever and with the supports and and that and that's the thing i love how this is not just simply about you know that biblical good and evil Mm. but it is the the nitty gritty of moral or ethical judgments Mm -hmm. and of course this is all within the context of like victorian scotland you know in 1827 and you know the victorians are famous for their moral judgments of Mm -hmm. other people whilst you know smoking cannabis or going to the um the brothel Brothel, um, or or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that they did you know i think it's in this time that britain fought opium wars in china so you know around this time so it's just kind of like it's just the hypocrisy of that moral judgment based on well you should be as i am even though your path started in completely different locations um, or indeed have got a huge wall across them you know yeah and I, i really loved how it brought that in, yeah. and, it's, and, and it's the equivalent these days of the of the phrase "pull yourself up by your bootstraps," right? Um, that's the that's the kind of equivalent concept here. The poor people should be able to get to be moral, to be able to live their lives without committing any kind of crimes at all, even though they have absolutely nothing to their name. Well, it's um, yeah, it's, it's 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 the notion that somehow opportunity is equal, and it's mm-hmm, not absolutely, and absolutely. and uh, that everyone should be doing it. And in yeah. this case, it's just brought to its you know. A, a real desperate moment where you're homeless, mm-hmm. you're without food. Yeah. What are you going to do? And in fairness, they're entrepreneurial to the to the fact that you know they're supplying into the you know this early medical profession mm-hmm. that is developing. Uh, and again, this you know mr dalrymple which mm-hmm. i have to confess i called him dr dalrymple in the Ooh. synopsis so he is mr um 
<laughs> did... No, I noticed that, Derek. So, okay. fellow acolytes, there was a move. There was a hand movement <laughs> towards the U. Uh, you were right. You were yeah, right. Yeah, I, I was going to press the button, but no, we'll leave that one. We'll leave, we'll leave that, that one. one I think. Okay. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about Mister Dalrymple because he's what he's what adds the color really to this argument. You know, it can yeah. be a very moral argument. It can be: is it right or wrong to steal a body? Yeah. But the conversation that happens between Aziraphale Crowley. And and Mister Dalrymple um, <laughs> adds that color and adds adds what the purpose of it is and what could happen if nobody was stealing bodies and selling them um, for these medical purposes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you know this adds the the next piece of understanding for Aziraphale mm-hmm. as well because technically he is a medical professional, mm-hmm. which. I guess Aziraphale will come at that as being, well, they should be good because exactly. they're trying to save people. Yeah. And Mr. Dalrymple is kind of matter of fact to say, well, there's not enough murderers for the cadavers that I need mm-hmm. because no one cares about murderers. So it's, it's, it's fine to use their cadavers. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I need the bodies to educate this new f- wave of medicine mm-hmm. and this medical profession um, and if I can't cut, I can't learn, he says, which I thought was a great line. And, you know, I need to show the insides to save people as you kind of showing an, uh, this tumor to uh, Aziraphale and Crowley mm-hmm. to ask them, well, what is this? And of course, they're kind of umming and ahhing all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it, it finishes with him saying, I'll either be knighted or hung as a resurrectionist. Yeah, exactly. I, it, you know, it is that quandary. Yeah. Um, and, okay, it's been formalized now, you know, mm-hmm. in, in medical schools to provide cadavers so they can actually see inside mm-hmm. of, um, you know, a human body. But nonetheless, this is, like, really early in that phase. And yeah. I like the fact that it's also, even though it's much earlier, yeah. is tapping into Burke and Hare, mm-hmm. who famously were body snatchers yes. in, in Edinburgh. And who eventually turned to murder to get bodies yes. so they could sell them. Uh, yeah, a really gruesome story. And I, again, because I, I suppose even if you didn't come at this story, you know, you're trying to come at it from, from the perspective of Aziraphale and Crowley. But if you do come with the story of Burke and Hare, you're kind of thinking, well, Elspeth is doing something that potentially she could go down the path of murdering people. Is that the story they're going to tell here? Is it going to be that kind of dark story? So you kind of come on the side of Aziraphale to begin with, where stealing bodies is wrong. And then you do go through that journey with them uh, in this in this uh, conversation with uh, Mr. Dalrymple, uh, where you're learning, well, if they didn't do this, then lives couldn't be saved you know this one body that she's um she's gotten from the the grave could save a hundred lives because there could be a hundred medical students that are being trained how to deal with this particular illness or how to deal with the human body well that's it and i mean you know as we go back to the second sort of grave robbing that we Mm. see them do we have crowley going well you know the rich can protect their rallies with those gubbins um (laughs) but the poor just have to lump it, you know? Yeah. Um, like and the tripwire attached to a cannon. I like that. <laughs> no, like a blunderbuss or something. Yeah, yeah mm. it's just like... Um, I feel like we could do that in our front gate, John. That would be uh, make our house <laughs> really no. safe. Well, we'd have to warn the postman. That's and, the problem. You'd have to have massive signs. Yes, that's true. That's true. Kind of negates it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and uh, this all plays out with MacPhail realising 
you know, this time is going to help yes. them get the bodies so that they can get money, so that they can get money uh, for their digs and their food. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the previous time he liquefied the corpse that uh, <laughs> they were dragging around with the pickled herring mm-hmm. uh, barrel. I just like the, the moral of this tale, which Absolutely. is you shouldn't judge the morality of other people by yeah. what they do you know i mean i guess there's a spectrum here as well you oh, know? of course yeah, uh, yeah. But like burke it, and hare were evil and did commit exactly, murders so that's exactly. a different thing to what else that's doing to to try and put food on the table effectively or for by your work. modern time mm. as well you know where there is things like universal health care and Absolutely. You know, very low in, unemployment all that kind of stuff so I, I loved how this kind of really stuck into that you know questions of society and morals and stuff mm-hmm. but in getting this second um body we morag is unfortunately caught with one of those gobbins that mm-hmm. is protecting the rich rallies yeah. um and dies here yeah but elspeth again forever the entrepreneur sees the opportunity to sell her on to dalrymple well, yeah. uh, in order to get money so that she can toast her life yeah and i like how that you know she did something that you'd go it's unspeakable Mm -hmm. but because she's desperate and actually it transpires she does it in order so that she can toast the life of her friend yeah and then ultimately go and join her because she uh pinches a bottle of um laudanum poison Mm -hmm. from dalrymple yeah uh but despite this initial thing at the start of it being a like Crowley evil Aziraphale good in terms of being an angel and being a, 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 a demon. Yeah. It then reverses to an extent mm-hmm. uh, with, with Crowley taking the Laudanum hit, which was hilarious yes. in terms of him going effectively uh, mental. I think I think I have the, the term doolally uh, written down. Uh, yes, <laughs> got a bit very, very doolally. Yeah. Well, again, that's what I like about like about this. You think this is a, a moral tale about, about Aziraphale going on the side of someone that's a sinner because he realizes the context that it's in. And actually, it turns all the way back around where... Crowley was laughing at the fact that she was committing a sin and he knew Aziraphale was eventually going to be in her side and actually he's the one that saves her. He's the one that makes Aziraphale give the money out of his out of yeah. his wallet to make sure that uh, Elspeth goes off and lives a good life. Um, he gives them a, a 90 guineas, which in equivalent to our days, apparently is around seven or eight grand. So she'll be able to go off and buy a pretty good little farm. Yeah, um, exactly. So uh, so that'll, that'll lead her to have a really good life. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's kind of missing in this story for me, though, in this tale for me, because we are talking about angels and demons and God and, and punishment and all that kind of stuff. So I felt that the body that they were trying to get when we Morag comes back with Elspeth is a priest when they open up the coffin. That's yes. the clothing that it wears. Then we Morag gets hit by the by the, the yeah, gun. She's shocked and stumbles back yeah. and hits uh, the tripwire. Yeah, but it feels like that little connection between those things where we're talking about is this a moral question of somebody digging up bodies and the fact that we Morag got effectively punished and killed for digging up a priest is what it seemed like should have been included in the tale. And it's like as if it's been edited out of the final version of the story. Yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, because... You are again. You're talking about angels and angels and demons here in heaven and hell. So it felt like that may have been part of the story. Um, that 
that this is punishment for her doing a sin and maybe Aziraphale could push back against that. You know, I'm constantly wondering how these tales, these uh, stories of how they got the personalities that they have now, how they're going to feed into the overarching story of this season where we have Gabriel on Earth. Why is Gabriel here? You know, I'm, I'm wondering what the connection is with this story of how Aziraphale learned that there are grey areas in terms of sin and, and who's good and who's bad. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, I can see your point there. And, and in terms of, you know, is this kind of transformation that we're seeing between these two supernatural beings mm-hmm. um, of being, I'm a demon or I'm an angel that does work for God or the devil yeah. most of the time, yeah. you know, but sometimes I do stuff for me. Exactly. Um, is that what's going to play uh, there out uh, with Gabriel yeah. in terms of what he's seen or what's happened to him, which we're still to find out. Exactly. But I think to me, it certainly ties back into that notion of, you know, but I'll do stuff for me some of the time, but ultimately I'm an angel who works for and does God's deeds, or I'm a demon that does Satan's needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. And I, I like that this is kind of, expanding on that exactly. and showing certainly how Aziraphale became to accept that side of him. Exactly. I mean, even to the point that he does drink the tea, whereas you can see in 1827, he's finding it difficult to drink the whiskey that Dalrymple has given to him. Yes. Yeah, but there's a big difference between not being able to drink scotch and, uh, and being able to drink tea, isn't there? Alcoholic drinks are definitely different to tea. Tea is the kind of gateway drug to eventually get you to scotch, isn't it? <laughs> no, tea is gateway drug to coffee. Tea is, a, tea is a gateway drug to biscuits, John. And then biscuits, <laughs> for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's also, I think it's just drinking in general that they yeah. find difficult. Any kind of imbibing but, of any sort. Yes. yes. But we should definitely say this ends with Crowley being punished by um, by hell. Yes, he gets sucked down below. <laughs> he does, he does. Uh, <laughs> but um, and Aziraphale says he doesn't see Crowley for a long time. No, and that's kind of everything that's in uh, in Edinburgh in 1827. There's yeah, a couple it's a of, great yeah. tale. I really enjoyed it. Peppered through this episode, absolutely. A um, couple of little Easter eggs in there as well. Yeah, well, there is the moment where uh, Crowley says, "I'm not a Mister. I'm a Doctor." Mm-hmm, absolutely, uh, of course, referencing good old Doctor Who. Yep, David Tennant um, returning as Doctor Who this year for the absolutely. 60th anniversary. Looking forward to that. Um, did you notice as well? There's another little Doctor Who reference there as well. Oh, go on! I may have yeah. missed that one. It, it, it's it's definitely a David Tennant Doctor Who thing, where um, when he meets someone for the first time, he does it with all his companions, where he goes, "Ooh, I like her." Yeah. Yes. That's the yes. first thing he says about Elspeth. Oh, I actually Elspeth. said that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, you said that down, earlier in the podcast, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ooh, I yes. like her. Yeah, that's a, that's a Doctor Who reference. And in these scenes, we also get our Terry Pratchett reference, John. Oh, really? Yes, we do. Yeah. You mentioned the laudanum that yeah. Elspeth takes. Uh, the prescription for that laudanum is written to C.M.O.T. Dibbler. Hey. Do you know who that is? That's Go a, on. That's a character from Terry Pratchett's books called Cut Me Own Throat Dibbler. Um, so that's a little nod in there for all the Pratchett fans and the eagle-eyed ones. Interesting, because yeah. I saw that label and I saw that on the label and mm-hmm. I thought, I wonder how they came up with that name. There you go. So, so great stuff. Cut me on throat dibbler. Um, there you go. So uh, lots, of, lots of nice little touches in there as well. Um, I do wonder whether the statue of Gabriel will play in uh, to the show as well, because yeah. there, it is definitely a likeness and definitely Very. looks exactly like uh gabriel and so. it changes as well doesn't it so mm. he's kind of got quite i guess 
flowy Oscar Wilde type hair back in um, 1827 when mm. they go and visit the graveyard for mm-hmm. the first time. Whereas I think when Aziraphale is there in the present day, uh-huh. it's got shorter hair. Oh, really? I think so, if I remember. Interesting. Unless uh, I, I'm just surprised it wasn't spray painted or uh, <laughs> had some something written on it um, over the course of the uh, 200 years since it was put in there. Well, it still looks quite fresh, yeah. even though it's so old as oh, well. No moss, few lichens. Yeah. Yeah. So something potentially is keeping it regenerated. Interesting. Interesting. Let, well, let's let's move on to our third sign of the apocalypse, which is set in present-day Edinburgh. Um, press investigator A.Z. Fell. Yes. This all starts out with the trip to Edinburgh and in the Bentley. I'm glad you started uh-huh. there because... Yes, this was fantastic. And it was fantastic for a number of reasons, Mm -hmm. because when we see Muriel at the start um, with Crowley arriving, he's like coming in to ask him, well, can you take the train and not my Bentley? Exactly. And then... Our Bentley. uh, (laughs) Well, but in Crowley's mind, my Bentley. Uh, And... And then you see Aziraphale take the car anyway and just how it transforms under the influence of Aziraphale rather Mm. than Crowley. And I love that you can see Crowley going mad here as he senses the the changes to the car as he comes through the the car radio um, and (laughs) and threatens with, I'll sell some books. I might even just give them away. (laughs) Uh, Really, really liked it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the uh, the benefit of Aziraphale's bookshop is that he's able to have all the books for himself and never have to sell a one. (laughs) So uh, I like there's there's a little moment as well. Did you see that? That the uh, on the front door where they have um, closed and definitely closed, I think it is, when the the two sides of the open (laughs) or closed sign normally. Um, So that would be a travesty uh, for Aziraphale to have anybody buy the books. And Speaking of Crowley in the bookshop, I just love the fact that he was dumping books all, all over the place. <laughs> so he like so much. huge towers of books, yeah, cherished by Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. And then he's coming down the stairs, and he's kind of taken by something Gabriel is doing or whatever. He yeah. just chucks them just in chucks the corner. Exactly. There's a few times that that happens. Right? Yeah. I just love love that, but yeah. also. How, you know, his car is turning yellow, classical music is playing. Yes, yeah. So these are all uh, references to season one, if you remember yeah. how uh, effectively Crowley keeps the whole um, car together through minor miracles <laughs> in season one. It's all held together, so it goes through things you couldn't possibly go through, like the speed it travels at, the explosions that are around. Um, he kind of keeps it all together, but also... It ensures the music that's playing is always Crowley's music that's playing. Um, here, Aziraphale's casting minor miracles to make sure that it plays classical music like he likes and that the car will accept that, won't it? He's talking to the car really politely. <laughs> and he's driving uh, under the speed limit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so good. Um, and then, yes, eating travel sweets in the car as well. Yes. All, all, all bad things for Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really like I really like these moments. Um, we also get a very weird moment as he crosses the border into Scotland. Um, where we see the mountains of kilts and the Loch Ness monster. We do. We see good old Nessie. Yeah, yeah. Which which is very odd. It's it's not even mentioned. Yeah. Well, it's it is strange. When I first saw it, it was like rewind. What just happened there? Yeah. Uh, you've got these tartan and and kilts uh, and 
yeah, the Nessie in one of the locks. Uh-huh. Um, but these tartans do have a meaning. They I do, think yes. one of them uh, is, from what I've seen, is linked to the Good Omens crew. It's the Good Omens tartan. Yes. Yep. And the other one is the director's tartan, who, uh, Doug McKinnon. Mm-hmm. So, excellent stuff. Yeah. How yeah. you dream of weaving that into the uh, the episodes, it's it's genius. Yeah. I love it. No, uh, I ha- but it's just so off-kilter. And again, yeah. it's just to the richness of this series and for this episode in yeah. that I love the kind of, you know, from 1827 Edinburgh with those moral dilemmas mm-hmm. and questions to this lovely, almost Monty Python-esque exactly. landscape that yeah. opens up uh, in front, you yeah, know? Absolutely. I haven't seen the film, but apparently this is based on the movie that the episode takes its name from, a movie called I Know Where I'm Going, uh, which had a similar scene, so this is their nod to that. But I haven't seen it to know whether they literally just lifted, shifted it, or whether they just had a scene where there was a, a lake and some mountains and turned it into some kilts and Loch Ness Monster. But a fun little moment. Uh, yeah, a absolutely. Moment. Uh, the reason why we should be talking about this, though, really is because Azifel makes his way to the Resurrectionist pub, something that we've heard about all the way back to episode yes. one where we saw the matchbox uh, up in heaven that had Resurrectionists on it. And then the, these are the people that are returning the uh, vinyl records, the singles that are turning into this song Every Day by Buddy Holly. Um, so... Azifel does about as good a job as Muriel uh, being undercover as a press reporter Yes, um, while he talks to the bartender. I love the little nod there with the bartender asking, what would you like to drink? And he goes, oh, no, I don't drink. Nothing for me. And the bartender yeah. kind of going, oh, God, not another one of these people <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in here. But what we do learn, there's a little bit of a... of extra information given here on the central mystery as to where Gabriel is and, and what's happening. What we do learn is... Gabriel was in the pub. He was there a year ago before those records started to change yep. into Buddy Holly. They changed at some point after he left or maybe even the night he was there. Um, and he was with somebody else, possibly a mason from well, next door. A mason. No, I think yeah. the, the, the bartender was very cl- clear. It was a mason, but he didn't. You couldn't really see who it was because he's got mm. loads of people in. Yeah. and But he definitely remembered Gabriel. Yes, definitely remembered Gabriel with the with a mason and because it's just over the road. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, strange handshake time, I guess. Mm-hmm. And in a grey suit, I didn't know whether that meant anything mm-hmm. or whether that was just the only thing that the bartender just picked out. He mentioned about in a grey suit. Yeah. Now, I think that was in reference to the mason. Okay. Um, I think yeah. could be Gabriel, possibly. But I wondered what the significance of just that little embellishment of the detail yeah. from the bartender. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. Yeah. But I guess the most interesting thing here is Gabriel was on Earth before. He was in Edinburgh before. In a pub. A year ago. Um, drinking away with yeah. a mason. Exactly. So interesting stuff. So at least we get a little bit more uh, of that um, in that small sign of the apocalypse. Let's go on to our fourth Side of the apocalypse, John. I'm calling this one the awning of a new age. This is uh, Crowley's um, finally getting the chance to bring Nina and Maggie together. This yes. was what they said the miracle was for, so he has to have his opportunity. And what he tries to do is create a Richard Curtis scene uh, by bringing down the rain, uh, getting the standard awning together, and then trap them effectively so they have to deal with their feelings exactly. And and of course, smack bang wallop, they're going to get into a relationship. Uh, that doesn't happen because. Uh, 
Well, Curly hasn't used the weather uh, very often recently, so uh, he kind of overdoes it on the rain, mm-hmm. uh, snaps through the awning, and uh, soaks both of them while they're having their <laughs> conversation. Um, there is, I, I, there is definitely the beginnings of that spark between the two of them. There, you, I, I think Curly might have been onto something. I think yes. they were about to kind of start sharing their feelings a little bit more. Yes, but it was still also. You know, there was pushback from Nina. Yeah, she's um, still got a, got a partner, I right? No, exactly. So, yeah. But despite what happened at the start with the, the lady getting the coffees mm-hmm. for the girls, you know, obviously it's kind of well known. And even with Muriel coming in and asking her about um, her love life, mm-hmm. she says, mind your own business, effectively get out type yeah. of thing. So, you know, this is really difficult, sensitive for Nina yeah. to talk about it. And so whether she was opening up, it was more Maggie, you know, yes. I think here. The hammer and chisel still needs to work on, on Nina's heart here a yes. bit and whatever is going on with Lindsay, with her, and Lindsay uh, exactly. her partner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, not much more about this point, but it is important to keep it going because this is what they've told Heaven is the miracle that they've made, right? So, uh, exactly, so they're exactly. going to want it to, to show off, especially if it was a 25 Lazari uh, miracle. Exactly, and also... <laughs> You have Crowley watching this, and I think, you know, moving to our fifth sign of the apocalypse Uh is that, you know, he says that Tempest didn't seem to work, Mm. uh, which triggers uh, Gabriel's message through Jim. Yes, yes, our final sign of the apocalypse uh, for for this episode. Um, No specifics here on, on what's going to happen uh other than lots of foreboding yeah other than gabriel saying there's going to be lots of lament- lamentations and the dead will rise um so no real specifics of what's happening uh the minute crowley tries to uh, push him on details of it uh jim returns uh the yeah. eyes go back to normal we lose the purple eyes of gabriel and we get the eyes back to normal of jim so still don't know exactly uh what what the um, ap- coming apocalypse could mean, yes. um, but one thing we do have is Shaq's outside the uh, outside the bookshop um, investigating what's going on. As you mentioned in the synopsis, um, threatening because she believes there is something happening in the bookstore. Oh, she's very suspicious mm-hmm. here. You know, of I think primarily Aziraphale because he's on the other side. Yeah. But also Crowley, like she, I think she's suspicious he is not giving her all the information. Exactly. He's bound by certain rules in that, you know, you see he can't invite her into the, the shop. He was taking lots of pleasure in that. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, she's quite clear all hell will be unleashed on Aziraphale mm-hmm. if it's seen to be found that he has aided and abetted uh, Gabriel. Exactly. Which, of course, he is doing. But the miracle, I think, is still holding. It is. Because even though Shax kind of sniffs the air mm-hmm. of the open front door to the shop, which I really liked that yeah. touch, you do have Gabriel walking towards her saying, ah, new customer, even though she's just stuck on the threshold, really. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't seem to really notice him, but she's very suspicious mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and I love then here that we get Crowley getting very angry uh, really, and taking it out on Gabriel, you know, if anything happens to my friend Aziraphale, and then it's like, you know, it's too late. It's always too late. Exactly. Um, that Gabriel is the reason for that, but equally mm-hmm. the position, how they're kind of trapped by this. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I really like that. Ah. 
They're friends. Of course they are. I know they are, but like, yeah. you know. They're best friends. He would never do that in front of Aziraphale. No, not at all. It's not at all. all unspoken. Yeah. So I, this is great. I this did also great. like the touch with Jax having uh, Miranda Richardson playing different people on the yes. streets. Um, talking back cool. to uh, talking back to Crowley and, and sharing this threat, I suppose. I thought that was uh, that was quite fun. A little touch of, uh, touch of secret invasion in there, John. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Um, <laughs> so and Star Trek Picard. Of exactly. Yes, we had that too. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, any other notes? Any other points that you wanted to make? Um, the only one I had was I loved also Aziraphale in the present talking to the two Scallies and asking for their mobile phone to call Crowley to say you know how well his investigation Absolutely. was going, and and Crowley really sort of being really not that impressed because uh-huh. actually Aziraphale, um, is, whilst he's very, very pleased with himself, mm-hmm. other than the Masons lead, it's not, you know, like he asked for a name yep. or, you know, the bartender didn't know. So I like the fact that you have Aziraphale being very pleased with himself, Crowley kind of just going, oh, Okay. None too pushed. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really need to travel all the way down to find it out. He probably got that on the phone. Um, the fact that he didn't cross the road over to the Mason's Lodge and find out whether Gabriel was in there, I thought was unusual. Well, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's next week's episode. <laughs> uh, I just want to remind everybody, go check out the ex- X-Ray extras on uh, Prime Video. Uh, there's some great extras, lots of behind the scenes and making ofs uh, for the episodes that have been released so far as well. Uh, loads of interesting facts on there. Um, one that I really liked uh, as well was just that Jim's costume is based on uh, Ronnie Barker and David Jason's costumes ah, from stuff. Open All Hours for you British fans uh, if you missed it because he does have a very distinctive uh, costume in the show. Yes, and there was a good um, little mini-sode in and of itself about the opening credits and the stop motion mm-hmm. as well as real film, all the different uh, techniques being used in that, which yeah, is cool. That was really cool. It's really cool. So go ch- go check that out uh, on Prime Video. It's really cool. Um, overall, though, John, what did you think of the episode? Uh, I again, I just really like this. I'm yeah. really enjoying the structure of these mm. with these minisodes. Yeah. Actually, and um, as always, I could watch these two all day, even when they're talking over a phone or, or back in time or through a radio uh, yeah. in the car. Yep. <laughs> I give the uh, I for me this episode I give four and a half wee inspector constables out of five. Very good, very good. Really, really enjoyed it. I, I like with season one. I just cannot wait to get to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I like that we're doing it you know, week by week, yeah. like we do. Um, but I just want I kind of want to get there to um, the next episode because. You know, the sense of humor is just spot on. Yep. The the wackiness of it, you know, whether it's the Tartan Mountains and mm-hmm. with, with Nessie in the lock, or it's just, you know, Crowley going from miniature to gigantic and going, <laughs> Oh, stunning view. Absolutely. I mean just yeah. great. Yeah. Um, you know. Plus again, like with last week, this, you know, the subversion a bit really. I mean, of of a zero fail, but it's not subversion. It's it's making sure he realizes not everyone is starting from that equal point. Exactly, exactly. Nice, nice little moral message in there. Yeah, really good. So good stuff. What about yourself, Derek? I really liked this episode. I thought it was fun. I thought the the story in in the past was was really interesting. And again, just that that moral quandary for Aziraphale and how it's developing him as a character, and also 
making Crowley do some do a good deed. You know, there two two things happened there in that in that story, which I thought were really interesting. I will say though, three episodes into the season, I am missing the them and dog. Okay, yeah. I really enjoyed those in the first season. Yeah, they were great. Other characters away from Aziraphale and Crowley, not just revolving around what's happening with them. So I did really enjoy that in the first season. I'm kind of missing them this season. I know they're not going to be back, unfortunately. Um, But even spending a little bit more time with Nina and Maggie at this stage, three episodes in, I feel would kind of benefit the show a bit so we can learn a bit more about them at home maybe or some other things going on in their lives yeah Yeah. because i felt like we had all of laura tadfield we had all everything (laughs) that was going on there we had lots of things going on with the them and we also had what was going on in london and we also had what was going on with the zero and crowley so um I, I would be. I, I would hope that we have a little bit more of that as well. But we're getting that with the Minnesotas. We're getting that with the other characters like Elspeth coming in here yes. and uh, and we Morgan as well um, and their story. But I feel without that focus of them every episode and having different ones every episode, kind of changes it up quite a bit this season. So yeah, um, I, yeah, but, yeah I, but I am really enjoying it though. There's no. It would it would turn it from a four point five into a five. Uh, that's that's a that's that's the only change that would okay. happen. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just being changed up a bit. Yeah, exactly. So, happy days from me. Absolutely. We have some feedback in for our episodes of Good Omens. Uh, first up, uh, Coffee and Vodka actually sent me in some feedback for episodes one and two, and I'm sorry. I missed it um, as, as we were going through uh, feedback for the last couple of weeks. So first uh, message that we got in from Coffee and Vodka was on episodes one and two. Um, so here we go. Uh, Coffee and Vodka says, Greetings, fellow Gabriel Guarding defenders. David Tennant and Michael Sheen together in anything is magic. They could turn simple conversation into master entertainment and did in three seasons of Staged. Add in John Hamm in a series penned by Neil Gaiman and what more do you need? Still waiting for more events to unfold to be able to grasp exactly what's going on outside of Gabriel disappearing from heaven to become Aziraphale's assistant bookseller. But in the meantime, I'm just soaking in the sheer pleasure of the viewing. Looking forward to hearing what you all have to say. Five birthday suit angels, high visibility half miracles and melodious mysteries out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Excellent stuff. Mm. Uh, Coffee and vodka. I think you're right. It is just soaking in the sheer pleasure. It's a hot bath with bubble bath. It certainly is. Um, whilst having a glass of champagne, maybe some strawberries, candlelights going on, uh, and watching Good Omens. Gosh, that sounds amazing, John. Maybe we'll do that after we finish uh, the podcast. <laughs> yes. We'd have to reinstall the bath. Uh, well, that is but, true. Oh, well. <laughs> Never mind. We'll have a hot shower. But there you go. <laughs> a hot Which will just fill up the champagne glass. <laughs> a hot oh, shower well. with champagne on the side and, uh, and strawberries falling into the drain. Yeah, it doesn't sound <laughs> as appealing. <laughs> with a misty screen as well. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> But good stuff, Coffee Vodka says, like you're as on board uh, with the show as we are as well. So glad you're enjoying it. And thanks so much. And sorry I missed out on putting that into our, our last two episodes. I think you sent it in just after we, just after we recorded episode one. So I, I had missed it for our second uh, podcast. Yeah, Good stuff. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. We also have a voicemail in from Anwen in New Zealand. Yes, Anwen sending in a voicemail all the way from New Zealand, uh, all about uh, Good Omens so far. She's actually watching through the first season and listening to our podcast coverage on the first season. Um, so she has some thoughts about that that she sent out by voicemail. If you want to send in a voicemail to us, of course, uh, you can email it to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and there's a button there where you can leave up to 90 seconds of your feedback. Um, we'd love to hear uh, from any of our fellow angels and demons uh we'd love to hear your voices on the podcast absolutely but here's anwin 
Hello there, Derek, John and Chris. Hello from the Upside Down here in New Zealand. We are just getting through the end of winter with a few little signs of spring, daffodils and crocuses popping up here and there, which is very exciting and I'm so happy to be listening to you guys again. I actually haven't caught up with you on season two, but I have just started season one for the first time. So I'm halfway through having seen three episodes and my goal is to be caught up to you guys by the finale. So there we go. I've got my homework sorted. I'm really enjoying this this show. I wish that I'd seen it earlier and I had heard so many good things about it. And it's really fun to go back to your coverage from 2019 um, before the world tipped upside down and um, hear your thoughts on it. And I'm really enjoying that. Uh, it's quite interesting on episode three, Derek, you mentioned that season one was going to be a one-off. Um, Neil Gaiman had said that he was never going to do a second season. So here we are a few years later and um, season two. Uh, can't wait to catch up with you guys. I love the show. The performances by Michael Sheen and David Tennant are just incredible. I did read something the other day that someone said... Um, that imagine if their characters were switched if they played each other and they're both such incredible actors that I actually think that they could pull it off they both are incredible at what they do they're so amazing to watch and they're so ensconced in their characters um, with Michael Sheen being so kind of proper and upright and then um, this kind of loungy sexy darkness from David Tennant which is really really fun to watch as well Anyway, I will see you guys in a couple of weeks with hopefully some feedback for the finale once I've caught up from then. But in the meantime, it's really, really fun to be back listening to you guys and also uh, can't wait for the rest of the show and season two. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much, Arwen. So good to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, Arwen. And great to hear that the spring is uh, starting to... Sprung? No, it's not <laughs> that. That's the way no, that. that's not the right that works. Uh, I'm glad to see the first signs of spring are, are coming to New Zealand. Um, yeah. We still have... We're deep in autumn here, just with some humid heat at the moment. Yeah, no sunshine for a month and a half, just rain, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm really glad you're enjoying it, Owen. And uh, you will, uh, as you catch up, you will notice in the first episode of season two, uh, the first time I played the I Was Wrong um song from David Tennant was to apologize for me being wrong. I forget the uh, the idea that when something becomes very popular that there's always a way to spin it off into a second season. So I just had no belief that given how long it had taken them to create a season out of the book that had been around for 30 years, I had no idea that they would actually be able to come back and uh, and write a second one. So, uh, yeah. so I was wrong. <laughs> but thank God that they did. That's and good. as well, I mean... It's like you say, Arwen, you know, these two central actors Mm -hmm. here in Michael Sheen and David Tennant are just so great together and their interplay, just their expressions, everything about it, you know, coupled with what they're saying from writing Neil Gaiman Mm -hmm. and again with Doug McKenna as uh, director. It's just, it just feels a lovely and great and fun cohesive warm hug ball yes absolutely absolutely uh, on the idea of the two of them switching roles um i believe that was actually a conversation that they'd had um ah, okay. that sheen was interested in playing the role of crowley and uh and tenant was interested in playing the role of uh of aziraphale i could totally see it do you know something i don't think i've ever seen though a dark sexy michael sheen 
Did he do that in Underworld? Was that the dark and sexy version of Michael Sheen, or am I thinking of another movie? I th- he was in Underworld. He was. Yeah. Don't know whether he was dark and, and sexy. Unless it's some kind of other type of blue movie like Undies World. No, <laughs> no, no, I don't watch Undies World. Um, that seems like or a very maybe odd even movie. in Tron. He wasn't evil in Tron. No, though, he either. was the DJ there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah. He was just kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I, I think I'd like to see Michael Michael Sheen's version of uh, of um, Crowley. Uh, apparently, on the set they do switch accents. They could do a great impression of each other. Um, so occasionally, if you're not looking, you will hear Michael Sheen's voice coming out of the mouth of David Tennant, and vice versa. So uh, they do definitely enjoy working together. That's uh, that's evident on screen. Good stuff. Yeah, mm. excellent stuff. Uh, thanks, Alwyn. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alwyn. So good to hear from you. Hopefully, we'll hear from you for the finale as well. Yes. We also got an email in from Suzanne Nelson. Aloha, Derek and John. Just wanted to say I'm excited to watch Good Omens Series 2 along with the two of you. I'm a big fan of the book Good Omens and loved the TV adaptation. I wasn't familiar with TV podcast industries when the first series was released, but have since been listening to you guys since early 2020, and you have become my go-to podcast for everything. Marvel and other favourites of mine, like The Umbrella Academy and The Last of Us. Fantastic. Only missed out in Good Omens by a year. Yes, I know. Excellent stuff, Suzanne. Thanks so much uh, for that. Really glad Mm -hmm. uh, we are uh, a go-to for you for things around Marvel and... uh, Umbrella Academy, as well as The Last of Us, you know, shows that we really, really enjoy as well. Um, Suzanne continues, I've been waiting not very patiently for this second season and especially to watch and listen along with the both of you. Congratulations, by the way, on your engagement. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Suzanne. My ineffable fiancé, John. Yes. It feels like a long time now. We have been engaged for nine years now. It is a long time. And it's the first time we've kind of spoken it on the podcast. Is is it? Well... Like, in that sense, it actually yeah. being part of the introduction. That's true. I that's guess true. that's just to kick ourselves up the arse to actually get tie the knot, yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah, tie the knot, light the candle, yeah. uh, and so on. Eventually we can say ineffable husbands, right? Exactly. Yeah. Ineffably wonderful husbands. <laughs> Do you think we'll get there by season three of Good Omens? I guess that's is the that challenge. Is that the goal? Is now, that the goal? Yes. That okay, is the challenge. <laughs> but anyway, we digress. Uh, Suzanne Nelson. Continues, I can only rate the first two episodes since I decided to watch along with your podcast. So far, I'm loving Series 2. I'm not going to list all the reasons this is such a wonderful show so far. I think we are all in agreement there. Mm -hmm. So let's thank Perfect Casting, especially bringing back members of Season 1 in new roles, and of course, others reprising their roles. Mm -hmm. Awesome sets, and of course, witty writing. I'm a big fan of Upstart Crow, not something you hear much about here in the States. Mm. Thanks for talking about it in relation to Good Omens and, of course, David Mitchell. My main reason for sending this, other than sending praises for this show and your podcast, is to ask your opinions of the opening cartoon behind the credits. I think they're amazing, as they were in Series 1, but even better. Anything you've noticed we should look for? Are you thinking... Is she joking? Do you have an hour just for that? <laughs> totally looking forward to watching along with you two. Thanks for the great podcast, Suzanne. Great stuff, Suzanne. Well, thank thank you, Suzanne. you so much. Well, interestingly, with the opening uh, credits, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the thing that exploded out to me uh, instantly were the exploding goats that we saw um, from 
the last episode, episode two. Yeah. Um, and as well, then what we've, the other interesting thing, and this is um, definitely recommend that you go on to the X-Ray on Prime. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a really just little uh, snippet about how they were constructed and how they were trying to use all these different techniques of mm-hmm. animation, but also including real life uh, actual pictures of David Tennant and and, yep. Ma- and Michael Sheen. Um, and so on the stop motion the, the the company and the person behind the opening credits were saying they actually got the costumes mm-hmm. from the production yeah. um, for use in the opening titles. Exactly, and the actual faces, as I said. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really cool opening titles. And there's um, there's things we're not going to know until after we've seen the episode. So this time, watching the opening credits, I was trying to spot something that might give me an indication of what was going on in the episode. And then when I went back and watched it the second time, um, you actually see uh, Crowley push the pickled herring um, barrel <laughs> uh, down the street as he's joining the march. So uh, that's from this episode. So lots of things you won't notice. There's always the title of the minisode over the cinema as they enter. So that changes every episode and then they go into the cinema. Uh, one thing they did show actually was that there's a poster created for each of the minisodes, um, like it, like its own uh, movie poster for each of the episodes. Those are, those are really cool to check out uh, as well. I think you see those in the opening credits, yeah. but it goes by so fast. And I'm so busy humming along with the, uh, <laughs> with the theme tune, which is awesome still, uh, that I don't get, catch everything. But I or think, I'm, yeah, yeah, or I'm still trying to catch up with my notes from the opening, the opening uh, bit. Sort of scene. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it is I watch them every week, and uh, and yeah, there's something in the opening credits each week referencing something that's going to happen up uh, in the future of the episode. So yeah. uh, so we'll we'll probably catch up by the end of the season. We'll probably know what what they're all referencing. Yeah. Thanks so much, Suzanne. Yeah. Thanks, Suzanne. Back to Coffee and Vodka for his thoughts on episode three. Uh, We also got an email in from um, just this week. He says, Greetings, fellow grave-robbing defenders. It takes two viewings to properly talk about this show. The first to just soak in the fantastically charming writing direction and interplay between actors who obviously enjoyed creating the experience as much as we do watching it. Absolutely. The second is to take in what actually happened in the episode. Aziraphale's joyful cluelessness as he gathers clues is as great as Crowley's passively acerbic attitude in listening to them. Their team up to thwart Muriel's even greater clueless investigation <laughs> into the love miracle was a hoot, as the kids say, and Gabriel's revelation of the tumult to come every day it is getting closer was a dire spark breaking his harmless demeanour. Elspeth and Morag perfectly fit into the tone of the story, therefore, and the exchange between Dalrymple, Crowley and Xerophel wonderfully offset the humorous dialogue which otherwise surrounded it. The episode was touching, funny, irreverent, yet pure, sincere and sarcastic. Absolutely. Thus a perfect series so far. Five growling, growling Crowleys, cellmate cell phones and damned dampling <laughs> holy awnings out of five. Please and take care, coffee and vodka. Fantastic coffee and vodka. Those are getting more difficult for me to read in one, in one <laughs> I know, go. I know. Uh, but I love them. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, and I, I couldn't agree really uh, more with you. Your thoughts on the show really do echo what we've been saying in the podcast. These um, Everything's coming together so well in this show. It's being pulled together yeah, so well. It really is. Through the performances, the writing, the setting. Fantastic. Great stuff. Yeah. Thanks, coffee and vodka. Uh, over on Facebook, uh, Bobby Pomelez says... Lots of gothic influences in the mini series. Yes, there were. Definitely, yes. Yeah. Uh, what a, it would have been great being in that sort of gothic world, I think. If you were living in a castle. Yes, well, that is true. Yeah. Uh, unless you're a Dracula, I guess, living <laughs> yes. in a castle. Yes. Uh, yes, he lived for quite a long time after that, that time. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, 
Thanks, Barbie. Um, Dr. Bob Phillips on Facebook also says, just jam-packed full of tiny little space rocks of joy, unlike the whole nut-in-dark chocolate Jewess of deliciousness that was episode two. Mm -hmm. There was the eerie sign of the apocalypse, nice eye-lighting switch, Mm -hmm. the reverse of the myth of the body snatchers weaved with a stab at the establishment, getting high on lethal... Getting high on a lethal dose of opiate, I guess it would do the same with angels, mm-hmm. along with the repeated motif of the box of nothing in the background. Mm. A sideswipe at gravity, the cold shower to end the kindling romance, and Tennant playing with accents and declaring himself a doctor. It's too much to hope for for Mr. Fell to slide into declaiming in Welsh at some point, but it would be good. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bob. I do hope uh, you accept my apologies for my Dr. Mr. mix-up um, <laughs> with the medical profession. Uh-huh. And, of course, uh, yes, there was the whole gravity element and the box. Yes, mm-hmm. the box of nothing in the background. That really did pop, actually, yeah. uh, in that scene. Um, it felt like it had been missing for a while, or at least the, the previous episode. And it, it felt... Oh, I just didn't catch it. Mm. This, it felt meaningful and still with the fly uh as well buzzing around in and in respect to uh jim's observations on gravity yeah he kind of says i put this here and it falls down but that doesn't the fly doesn't fall down and you're kind of going okay well we saw the fly in the box in the first episode we also saw in this episode, we saw uh, Beelzebub um, for a very that odd moment in hell where she's asking uh, one of her uh, subordinates, um, don't you ever just want to be thanked for doing a good job? Which is a very odd thing for Beelzebub to say. Yeah. She's covered in flies as well. So, yeah. As, as well, we, as we said as in the first episode, that the fly motif here mm. um, would be possibly quite suggestive, actually. Oh, um, of Beelzebub, yeah. 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 So, who knows? Exactly. But thanks so much, Dr. Bob. Completely agree. It's just wonderful uh joy here absolutely we're we're definitely enjoying it as well and uh, to get as many uh easter eggs connected to the doctor in one episode as well uh, are great it's great fun yes on the other side of the fence uh jeff childs also sent in his thoughts he says the mystery surrounding gabriel is really the only thing bringing me back at this point this season has been pretty disappointing so far oh uh, sorry to hear that jeff yeah. um it's uh yeah i mean certainly the mystery around gabriel is 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 still there and yeah. intriguing for sure yeah. um i guess you know in that sense with it being merged in with these minisodes i guess that could feel quite fragmented yeah and um, feels like there's no movement on that uh yeah on that mystery much at all like we haven't really learned much more than we learned since episode one um to me that feels like the thing they're hanging the great performances and fun comedy on. So that's sitting in the background for me. I'm really just enjoying yeah. uh, sitting with the characters, but that's, that's totally it. I think we mentioned last week that this type of humor is what's really connecting with me. I'm sure they'll get around to the mystery um, as the episodes go on. I'm sure it'll form a big part of the finale. Um, but I'm kind of just 
sitting back and enjoying the all these characters interacting again together. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks so much, Jeff. Hopefully, episode four will expand a little bit more for you, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you get into it by by the end of the the series. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks everybody for your feedback. Please keep sending it in to us. Email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV Podcast Industries to share your thoughts on each of the episodes. I'll be putting the spoiler post up for episode four uh, later today. Uh, episode four is, and I love this, The Hitchhiker featuring the mini-sode Nazi zombie flesh eaters. Ooh, Nazis and zombies. Yeah, and do you know what else is in it, John? Because I saw a photograph. Go so who else is in it? Mark Gattis. Uh, excellent. And... Steve Pemberton. Lovely stuff. I don't know if Reese Shearsmith is going to be in there to complete the trilogy of League of Gentlemen actors, but two League of Gentlemen actors in there. Yes. Uh, that's very cool. Two League of Gentlemen actors and one Inside Number Nine. Yes. Actors. But Gat has been, has been on Inside Number Nine as well, yes, of course. He's not the regular. He's not. He's not. Uh, two other favorite shows of ours as yes. well. Uh, yes. So getting, getting more of them. Uh, and yeah, Nazi, Nazi zombie flesh issues sounds like a, uh, Sounds like a fun episode of the show. (laughs) Excellent stuff. Yes. Remember, fellow acolytes, subscribe on any godly or devilish podcast player of your choice over at tvpodcastindustries.com. And also, please remember to uh, tap into all the other great shows that are over on TV Podcast Industries and Mm -hmm. to share the podcasts as well. Because sharing the podcast is, of course sharing the love yes it um, is it is we're also over on patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries mm-hmm. as well as buymeacoffee.com forward slash tvpi absolutely any support uh, including sharing the podcast is always appreciated absolutely always appreciated and feedback as well great support to get the feedback well. definitely and once again a huge thank you to jason capassi and podcastica.com check them out for other podcasts such as the white lotus podcast where they're looking back at each episode of hbo's wonderful white lotus mm. uh, you can also check out run for your lives uh, with daphne and paik uh, which covers movies that would make you run for your life uh, this week they're discussing danny boyle's excellent 2000 outbreak movie 28 days later starring killian murphy great stuff love mm-hmm. that movie yeah absolutely uh, really good film and killian murphy of course uh, featuring the biggest movie at the moment uh, oppenheimer so well, okay second, second biggest, biggest movie yes. yeah <laughs> Excellent stuff, yes. Good old Killian. Uh, love that guy. Absolutely. Another wonderful Irish actor. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, fellow acolytes, uh, for joining us. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, in the meantime, keep watching, keep listening, and the apocalypse is coming. Grab your hard hat, Doug, Doug Green. Green. Bye. Bye.